My Lord and my God, I firmly believe that you are here, that you see me, that you hear me. I adore you with profound reverence. I ask your pardon for my sins and the grace to make this time of prayer fruitful. My Immaculate Mother, St. Joseph, my Father and Lord, my Guardian Angel, intercede for me. Lord, as we put ourselves in your presence, we make that act of faith that accompanied, accompanying you is Our Lady and your adoptive father, St. Joseph, there, inseparable from you. And we ask you to help us see that the first sphere of influence of your new commandment of loving as you have loved is within our family, within the people who are closest to us. We could take the opportunity to quote St. Jose Maria in Forge, point three. My father, talk to him like that confidently, who art in heaven, look upon me with compassionate love and make me respond to your love. Melt and enkindle my hardened heart, burn and purify my unmortified flesh, Fill my mind with supernatural light. Make my tongue proclaim the love and glory of Christ. And this is right out of St. Jose Maria's dialogue with our Lord. That's what he was asking of our Lord. They, these points of forge form his intimate notes, at least part of his intimate notes. The phrase holy family has inexhaustible meaning. And we ask our Lord to help us delve into that meaning of the holy family. The supernatural elephant in the room, and we want to look at that supernatural elephant in the room, is that the greatest event in the history of the universe is our transcendent God becoming part of our world, entering into our world. That event, that truth, boggles the mind. The most imaginative and creative fiction writer could not come up with a better story. And on a human level, it's, it's an outlandish story. God coming to our world, becoming part of our world. But what makes it even more outlandish is how he did it. It'd be less outlandish if he just would appear in glory, kind of like a Superman. They didn't. And what also boggles the mind is that this greatest event, this hope of the world, entered into our world through a family and only went public for a few years. The majority of his years here on earth, which were not many, 
were spent in a home, spent doing a manual labor at his job, but his base of operations was in that holy house of Nazareth. That has tremendous meaning. And yes, explicitly there's very little narrated about his hidden life. The Holy Spirit wanted it that way. Luke interviewed Mary. Matthew knew Jesus. Mark knew the apostles, especially St. Peter. But they didn't write much of his hidden life. That would have made an interesting story, what he was like as a teenager. A few anecdotes about activities with his friends, how he passed his time in recreation. But obviously God did not want many of those details disclosed. And we ask the question why prayerfully, why Lord? Because everything he taught in his public life and everything he taught is a subset of love one another as I have loved you. Basically, the whole gospel is a formation, an education on how to love with that heart of Jesus. And those words were put into practice at home. And I think we could be morally certain to draw that inference that little was written about our Lord's hidden life, just the bare essentials, the joyful mysteries of the rosary, so that we see family life, ordinary life, as the arena, as the forum to practice everything Jesus did and taught. He acted out what he taught at home. He taught what he did at home. He did and he taught. First he lived it, then he taught it. So Lord, you're telling me that your teachings on charity, vis-a-vis -vis prayer, vis-a-vis -vis humility, vis-a-vis -vis service, vis-a-vis -vis joy, the natural setting for this is the family. And from the family, it extends to others. Lord, you're giving tremendous importance to this family life. You who are the Son of God, made man, focused your love first at home, focused your love on your mother and your father, on your immediate, on your extended family, on your friends in Nazareth, your clients that you served as a carpenter. And you're telling us, basically, that if we do that, we will bring the gospel to the ends of the earth. Notice that that, that vision 
was first revealed on Christmas. This is for everybody, this good news of great joy. And the gospel ends that way. You bring the gospel to every corner of the earth. And what does he do? Well, he gets the ball rolling at home, at work, in his tiny village of Nazareth. And what you're saying, Lord, is to the degree I live this charity, it's not exclusive to my family and my supernatural family, but it must begin there. That's what you're telling me. And I have to fill my little tiny corner of the world with your heart, with your love, in order to change the world. Blessed Alvaro said in his celebrated letter on fraternity, on family life, he says that our kind of, the love we have to exhibit is to create that family atmosphere. Many of you do that in a very special way and spectacular and ordinary. Ordinary and spectacular are com compatible. And hence, our father said that this work, this domestic work of the home, of the administration is the backbone. Well, because the backbone of apostolate is always that heart of Christ. And that heart of Christ was first made manifest in a family. And the greatest follower of Christ even transcends a saint is the Blessed Mother, a super saint. And second to her is the greatest of all saints, is Saint Joseph. And they exercise that love at home. And not only at home, but in the first place at home. Mary had friends. No mere coincidence, nothing's a coincidence in the gospel, that the first miracle our Lord worked was at a big party. And Mary was an important figure in that party of, with dancing and laughter and jokes and good food and etc. She's there. But it begins there. The examples we have in the work, we have uh, many holy people who, you know, because of uh, uh, administrative limitations, won't get canonized because uh, that would be a major distraction for the, the universal church. But there'll be some exceptions and they will be canonized for public consumption, first our own consumption and then the consumption of the rest of the church. And we look at uh, our lovable venerables and we look at uh, the venerable Monse, died as a teenage girl in the 50s. Relative to the history of the church, that's kind of recent. 
and reading her biography, it's as ordinary, except for her illness, obviously, as the day is long. And we see how she was the life of her home life, that she was the joy of the home, of her own home, for her siblings, for her mother and her father. But she was uh, very human. I mean, she it wasn't a contrived charity or a goodish charity. But, uh, and they enjoyed her because uh, she brought a lot of levity to her family, a lot of joy. She was very close to them, and uh, she would identify with the interests of her family. And she would bring that family spirit to her friends. And so she... She was like a magnet, attracted people. In her, her dwindling days here on earth, her friends would come and surround her. And, you know, at least, and it was an ambiance of joy, of, of fun. And where did that come? And she was really, she was kind of normal. I mean, she had real uh, struggles and uh, defects. I think I have it right, and you know, for some reason that anecdote just sticks in my mind and heart, where uh, the director of the center, because it was a big feast, and I guess she couldn't make it to the celebration, so they brought her dinner. And uh, it's kind of a nice gesture, obviously, to bring someone dinner. Um, but she didn't respond with gratitude. She very teenager-esque, burst into tears with anger at this woman and said, you, you know I don't like chicken. Why'd you bring me chicken? I can't stand it. And uh, made a scene, made a fuss, and was in tears because she really didn't like that chicken. You almost want to say, well, listen, you've got a terminal illness here and now you're all worked up over chicken, and this, pers this person went out of her way to bring you a dinner, and that's how you react. And obviously she knew that this was inappropriate, as they say today, and uh, apologized profusely that, oh gosh, I have a long way to go here, you know? You know, I'm not even living charity 101, you know? Well, anyway, there's hope. You're gonna, you, you don't realize it, but you're going to be declared officially a venerable. And so you're saying to me, Lord, that um, because of your, the time spent in a home, that my love has to be family-like, has to be a family-like love, that I have to create wherever I am that family atmosphere, very human, informal, enjoyable, setting people at ease, and I don't know why these, these immediate role models we have, uh, remembering, uh, well, the, the, recent, our, the recent father, Don Javier. And what is noticeable? I mean, it, will, it, will it make the headlines? No, it won't make the headlines. But the ability to put you at ease. And how would he put you at ease? I mean, he, had, he was so interested in what you did, 
He was in, so interested in what you had to say. And when you were in his presence, he would light up like a Christmas tree. He was, it was nothing contrived, and, but, but this interest, uh, drawing people out, drawing you out. And I, I think it was a physiological gift as well, uh, but it was a gift. I remember well, my last encounter with him. It was a very hot Roman day. June, matter of fact, it was the celebration of the Feast of St. Jose Maria. And it was very hot. And it was, I think it was one of those times, one of those two encounters I had, the last two encounters, was the 40th anniversary of his death or his transit to heaven. And so there's a little bit extra celebrating and little liqueur after dinner and you know air condition was more of a symbol than a reality uh, it was hot it was humid and uh, wine was served with the meal which is typical on a feast day but especially a feast in, in Rome anyway we had the get together and coffee didn't seem to do the trick people were pretty drowsy okay except for him you know, he was 80, whatever he was, maybe he was 83, 84 then. Uh, and he was so attentive to the different people telling their anecdotes. And everybody was interested, but you know, the, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is very sleepy. But he wasn't. He was completely attentive. And I was just blown away by that. And maybe it is physiological, but that, that's just a small part of it. He was just driven by this genuine concern and drawing, you know, different people would talk with them. How does this begin? Well, it begins not with just raw willpower. It always begins here in front of the tabernacle. I, it's, I, I need to be refueled with that love of Christ. In fact, Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit, says that that's what uh, prayer does for you. It's kind of like refueling. And he, and he says, the love of God is poured into your heart. It's kind of an interesting image. It, it, there's a pouring. And uh, when you, you look at pouring, what do you, you pour? You, you fill a glass, you fill a tank, you fill a bucket. And so uh, the, this love is poured into my heart. Well, Lord, what do I do to have an abundance of that love that you want to pour into my heart. I need to be pious. When I am pious, when I'm speaking with you, Lord, I kind of turn on the faucet, the faucet of what, the faucet of, of the water of the Holy Spirit. My God, St. Josemaria says, my God, teach me how to love, my God, teach me how to pray. Paul, in teaching the early Christians and writing to the early Christians, he's always, there's virtually no letter of Paul where he doesn't exhort them to show the warmth of our Lord to others. And so my piety, and what does piety do for me? It gives me, the, and, and Paul begins by says, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, put on. 
when I first put on Christ in prayer. Paul is always saying put on Christ in order to be Christ. And what is being Christ? It's creating that family atmosphere. And so we will hear it in today's second reading. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassion, kindness, lowliness, meekness, and patience. So what, what, what we're being taught here is, it would be kind of, you know, uh, pragmatic to say, okay, if you uh, are a little bit quicker in passing the butter, you're doing it right. Uh, or what we need to do is uh, get the phone more quickly or smile at this time of the day. All those little details are, are part of it. But there's a, there's a foundation, there's an attitude, there's a disposition, compassion, kindness, lowliness, meekness, and patience. Forbearing one another. If one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. And sometimes we may say, well, this whole forgiveness thing may not apply to me. Every, you know, no one's insulted me. No one's read me the riot act, at least in the past couple of weeks. I don't know, maybe there's not much to forgive. Well, maybe we've got to look a little bit more deeply, you know. What's he saying here? Well, maybe there's certain defects that really get under my skin and uh, that could create a little bit of negativity. I don't know. There's an inter we all have defects, so we got them, right? What, what can I say? It's part of the wound left by original sin. Right? Well, there we have an interrupter in our center. Or we have a couple of them. You're trying to tell a story and her timing is just right on the mark. And so, so good at interrupting that you forget what you're talking about. We love that interrupter. We forgive that interrupter. So that the interrupter forgives us for our version of defects. Or I don't know, someone else, it could be anything. You know, so there's a person who's always in a fabulous mood. And it's a little bit contrived. And becomes even more fabulously happy when everybody's a little bit uh, under the weather because of this weather. We forgive. Someone is noisy. Uh, someone is noisy eating potato chips. You could hear them, you know, 100 yards away. Even, and it gets even louder after a correction. Who knows? I mean, we, 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 those are the things we need to free, these little things, patience. And so Paul is saying, but this, these are the kind of virtues we need to look at. And above all, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in the one body. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. We uh, close our prayer going to the Holy Family. For some of us, the first aspiration taught to us was Jesus, Mary, and Joseph. We ask the Holy Family to pray for us so that 
we each of us do our part in creating that atmosphere of Nazareth wherever we go, but starting with our own home. And that we are more and more convinced that it's in function of my union with the heart of Christ. I thank you, my God, for the good resolutions, affections, and inspirations you've communicated to me in this meditation. I ask your help and bring them into effect. My Immaculate Mother, St. Joseph, my Father and Lord, my guardian angel, intercede for me.